Welcome to Tent Talk, the podcast with Nancy McCrady, where we talk about life under the big tent of God's presence and the provoking process of discipleship. Here we go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tent Talk. This is Nancy McCrady. So glad to provide you with this bonus episode in our series, Summer Readings. Today, you get to hear the voice of my friend, Dan Dunn. Dan and I are serving in the nations together. We are serving on the uh, German and Polish School of the 70 uh, team. Uh, Dan and his wife, Jan, are um, missionaries in the nation of Poland, uh, though they hail from the mighty state of Florida in the United States. And I'm so glad to share this voice with you today, my friend, as he is reading from Life Together by Diedrich Bonhoeffer, and he is reading from chapter four on ministry. Now he doesn't read the entire chapter, just a few pages, but he will start out from the very beginning of chapter four. So take a listen and be encouraged, my friends. I have the honor today to read from you from the book Life Together by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And I'm starting with chapter four that's entitled Ministry. There arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be the greatest? Luke 9, 46. We know who it is that sows this thought in the Christian community, but perhaps we do not bear in mind enough that no Christian community ever comes together without this thought immediately emerging as a seed of discord. Thus, at the very beginning of Christian fellowship, there is engendered an invisible, often unconscious, life and death contest. There arose a reasoning among them. This is enough to destroy a fellowship. Hence, it is vitally necessary that every Christian community from the very outset face this dangerous enemy squarely and eradicate it. There is no time to lose here. For from the first moment when a man meets another person, he is looking for a strategic position he can assume and hold over against that person. There are strong persons and weak ones. If a man is not strong, he immediately claims the right of the weak as his own and uses it against the strong. There are gifted and ungifted persons, simple people and difficult people, devout and less devout, the sociable and the solitary. Does not the ungifted person have to take up a position just as well as the gifted person, the difficult one as well as the simple? And if I'm not gifted, then perhaps I am devout anyhow. Or if I'm not devout, it is only because I do not want to be. May not the sociable individual carry the field before him and put the timid, solitary man to shame? Then may not the solitary person become the undying enemy and ultimate vanquisher of his sociable adversary? Where is there a person who does not, with instinctive sureness, find the spot where he can stand and defend himself, but which he will never give up to another, for which he will fight with all the drive of his instinct of self-assertion? All this can occur in the most polite or even pious environment. 
But the most important thing is that a Christian community should know that somewhere in it, there will certainly be a reasoning among them, which of them should be the greatest. It is the struggle of the natural man for self-justification. He finds it only in comparing himself with others, in condemning and judging others. Self-justification and judging others go together as justification by grace and serving others go together. The ministry of holding one's tongue. Often we combat our evil thoughts most effectively if we absolutely refuse to allow them to be expressed in words. It is certain that the spirit of self-justification can be overcome only by the spirit of grace. Nevertheless, isolated thoughts of judgment can be curbed and smothered by never allowing them the right to be uttered, except as a confession of sin, which we shall discuss later. He who holds his tongue in check controls both mind and body. James 3, verse 2. Thus, it might be a decisive rule of every Christian fellowship that each individual is prohibited from saying much that occurs to him. This prohibition does not include the personal word of advice and guidance. On this point, we shall speak later. But to speak about a brother covertly is forbidden, even under the cloak of help and goodwill. For it is precisely in this guise that the spirit of hatred among brothers always creeps in when it is seeking to control, or I'm sorry, to create mischief. This is not the place to discuss the limitations upon this rule in particular cases. They must be a matter of decision in each instance. The point, however, is clear and biblical. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. But I will reprove thee and set them in before thine eyes. Psalm 50, verses 20 and 21. Speak not evil of one another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? James 4, verses 11 and 12. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Ephesians four twenty nine. Where this discipline of the tongue is practiced right from the beginning, each individual will make a matchless discovery. He will be able to cease from constantly scrutinizing the other person, judging him, condemning him, putting him in his particular place where he can gain ascendancy over him and thus doing violence to him as a person. Now he can allow the brother to exist as a completely free person, as God made him to be. His view expands, and to his amazement, for the first time he sees shining above his brethren, the richness of God's creative glory. God did not make this person as I would have made him. He did not give him to me as a brother for me to dominate and control. But in order that I might find above him the creator, 
Now the other person, the freedom with which he was created, becomes the occasion of joy. Whereas before he was only a nuisance and an affliction, God does not will that I should fashion that other person according to the image that seems good to me, that is in my own image. Rather, in his very freedom from me, God made this person in his image. I can never know beforehand how God's image should appear in others. That image always manifests a completely new and unique form that comes solely from God's free and sovereign creation. To me, the sight may seem strange, even ungodly, but God creates every man in his likeness, the likeness of his son, the crucified. After all, even that image certainly looks strange and ungodly to me before I grasped it. Strong and weak, wise and foolish, gifted or ungifted, pious or impious, the diverse individuals in the community are no longer incentives for talking and judgment and condemning, and thus excuses for self-justification. They are rather cause for rejoicing in one another and serving one another. Each member of the community is given his particular place. But this is no longer the place in which he can most successfully assert himself, but the place where he can best perform his service. In a Christian community, everything depends upon whether each individual is an indispensable link in a chain. Only when even the smallest link is securely interlocked is the chain unbreakable. A community which allows unemployed members to exist within it will perish because of them. It will be well, therefore, if every member receives a definite task to perform for the community, that he may know in hours of doubt that he too is not useless and unusable. Every Christian community must realize that not only do the weak need the strong, but also the strong cannot exist without the weak. The elimination of the weak is not the death of fellowship. Not self-justification, which means the use of domination and force, but justification by grace and therefore service should govern the Christian community. Once a man has experienced the mercy of God in his life, he will henceforth aspire only to serve. The proud throne of the judge no longer lures him. He wants to be down below with the lowly and the needy because this is where God found him. Mind not high things but condescend to men of low estate, Romans twelve sixteen. The ministry of meekness. He who would learn to serve must first learn to think little of himself. Let no man think of himself more highly than he ought to think, Romans twelve three. This is the highest and most profitable lesson truly to know and to despise ourselves, to have no opinions of ourselves, and to think always well and highly of others. That's great wisdom and perfection. Thomas Akempis. Be not wise in your own conceits. Romans twelve sixteen. Only he who lives by the forgiveness of his sin in Jesus Christ will rightly think little of himself. He will know that his own wisdom reached the end of its tether when Jesus forgave him. He remembers the ambition of the first man who wanted to know what is good and evil and perished in his wisdom. That first man who was born on this earth was Cain, the fatricide. His crime is the fruit of man's wisdom. 
Because the Christian can no longer fancy that he is wise, he will also have no high opinion of his own schemes and plans. He will know that it is good for his own will to be broken in the encounter with his neighbor. He will be ready to consider his neighbor's will more important and urgent than his own. What does it matter if our own plans are frustrated? Is it not better to serve our neighbor than to have our own way? But not only my neighbor's will, but also his honor is more important than mine. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? John five forty four. The desire for one's own honor hinders faith. One who seeks his own honor is no longer seeking God and his neighbor. What does it matter if I suffer injustice? Would I not have deserved even worse punishment for God if he had not dealt with me according to his mercy? Is not justice done to me a thousand times even in injustice? Must it not be wholesome and conducive to humility for me to learn to bear such petty evil silently and patiently? The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Ecclesiastes 7.8 One who lives by justification of grace is willing and ready to accept even insults and injuries without protest, taking from them from God's punishment and gracious hand. It is not a good sign when we can no longer bear to hear this said, without immediately retorting that even Paul insisted upon his rights as a Roman citizen, and that Jesus replied to the man who struck him, Why smitest thou? In any case, none of us will really act as Jesus and Paul did if we have not first learned, like them, to keep silent under abuse. The sin of resentment that flares up so quickly in the fellowship indicates again and again how much false desire for honor, how much unbelief still smolders in the community. Finally, one extreme thing must be said. To forego self-conceit and to associate with the lowly means and all soberness and without mincing the matter to consider oneself the greatest of sinners. This arouses all the resistance of the natural man, but also that of the self-confident Christian. It sounds like an exaggeration, like an untruth, yet even Paul said of himself that he was the foremost of sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. He said this specifically at the point where he was speaking of his service as an apostle. There can be no genuine acknowledgement of sin that does not lead to this extremity. If my sinfulness appears to me to be in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sin of my others or the sin of others, I am still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. My sin is of necessity the worst, the most grievous, the most reprehensible. Brotherly love will find any number of extenuations for the sin of others. Only for my sin is there no apology whatsoever. Therefore, my sin is the worst. He who would serve his brother in the fellowship must sink all the way down to these depths of humility. How can I possibly serve another person in unfeigned humility if I seriously regard his sinfulness as worse than my own? Would I not be putting myself above him? Could I have any hope for him? 
Such service would be hypocritical. Never think that thou hast made any progress till thou look upon thyself as inferior to all. Thomas Akempis. How then is true brotherly service performed in the Christian community? We are apt these days to reply too quickly that the one real service to our neighbor is to minister to him the word of God. It is true that there is no service that compares with this one, and even more that every other service is performed for the sake of the service of the word of God. Yet a Christian community does not consist solely of preachers of the word. We can go monstrously wrong here if we overlook a number of other things. All right, there you have it. Dan has shared uh, these particular uh, sections of chapter 4 with you because these are ones that were really, really uh, piercing him. And he and I have had the opportunity to be able to share and talk and... and, uh, you know, tell each other what we think about this this book, Life Together, because when you've walked for many years in ministry, as Dan was a pastor for many, many years, and, and then God continues to move you, mature you, uh, expand you, stretch you, provoke you, you read something, and you're like, wow, this is really speaking to me right where I'm at. And this is what happens when Dan and I get together and we get to share about these things. And so I'm sure that you'll hear uh, from Dan again, where hopefully um, uh, he will make some comments and he and I might even have a conversation together, right? But I appreciate that he shared with us um, just by simply reading from Life Together, uh, the classic by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. So, thanks for being in with us today on this bonus episode of Tent Talk, the podcast of Nancy McCready Ministries. Love you all. For more information on Nancy, please visit nancymccready.com or follow her on social media at nbmccready.com.